That's what it sounds like at local school board meetings. That's a little compilation of meetings that have happened in Chicago and around the suburbs over the past few weeks. This is Chicago's Afternoon News. It's 2.38. I'm Lisa Dent. Steve Bertrand is here. Kevin Powell and Mary Vandeveld. Uh, your kids are paying attention. How is it impacting them? Let's say hello to Dr. John Walkup. He is the chair of the Pritzker Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health, a professor in child and adolescent psychiatry. Is this something that you're seeing in your practice, doctor? Are kids stressed? <laughs> are kids stressed? Yes, kids are kids are very stressed, but it's hard to tell whether they're more stressed than their parents. You're right. And and they're related. If your parent is stressed, you're stressed. If you're stressed, your parent is stressed. There's no question kids follow their parents' lead. Um, if parents if parents are managing well, the kids will probably manage pretty well. If parents are having a hard time with all of this stuff, then kids are going to have a hard time writing themselves on their own. How much of the kids' stress have you noticed is actually created by the parents? And not, not the parents being stressed out about the disease, but about the protests and things like that. Well, I think I think if you want to think about the extremes, there's the anti-maskers and the the only maskers, right? And there are families who are in between. And and in general, kids tend to do better. Um, in general, kids tend to do better if their parents are uh, can blend and chill and kind of deal um, than if they have parents who kind of function at the extreme. Um, you probably all remember when, when you were embarrassed by your parents at some point or another when your parents stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> and, you know, when I talk with parents about how to, how to deal with controversy or complicated issues, it's like, yeah, you can, you can take it on if you want, but as soon as you become an outlier, you put an extra burden on yourself and on your family. So uh, when you're thinking about positions you want to take or beliefs that you have or how you want to work in the world, with others, think about kind of how your kids are going to view you and, and whether they can respect you and honor you in that process. And it's difficult when it, it's taken into your school situation. I think that's what makes it very difficult because your parents can do what they want. But once your schoolmates start seeing what your parents believe and what they're doing, then not only is home a little chaotic, but it certainly does do a great deal of, of damage among your, you know, how you, how you fit into the school society. No question. I mean, kids, kids, when they're embarrassed by their parents, they tend to run and hide, and that makes it really difficult for them to make and keep friendships. Okay, so kids have a lot on their plates these days. They've got parents who are anti-mask, uh, you know, mask optional, um, frightened to take off their mask, and that's something we're all going to be dealing with very closely over the next few weeks and, and months, I would think. We don't know when they're going to pull the mask mandate out of schools. Um, what do you say to parents in, who have kids who believe the same, that they're, they're kind of frightened, they're nervous about what will happen if they take off their mask? How do you, how do you coach a child through that? Yeah, I think I think it's um, I, I I think it's really difficult. So these are these are the kids who are probably a little bit more sensitive. Their parents are a little bit more sensitive, and so they're going to be a little bit more risk averse. And I think what we're we're trying to do with kids who are on that side of it all is to encourage them to get comfortable taking on more challenge. And I think what they should do is not necessarily take a look at what's happening in their local school, but to 
ground themselves a little bit better in the in the scientific data and kind of what's happening nationally and what the recommendations are both locally from a public health point of view and nationally from a public health view and feel comfortable if you will when when they really have a good sense and are grounded in the best data. If you've got a child who's struggling, um, give us a call right now or shoot us a text, 312-981-7200. Our guest is Dr. John Walkup. He's the chair of the Pritzker Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health and uh, board-designated professor in child and adolescent psychiatry. So are you in clinic? Are you treating children? And are you seeing that the mask issue is as big as what it is portrayed to be in the media? You know, I, I am in the clinic, but, but maybe not as much as, as other people are. But the kids, I guess the thing that's important to me is that the kids that I take care of who are in good shape from a treatment point of view and are doing well, they roll with this. And um, and they tend to follow the lead of their parents. And if their parents are kind of managing it and, and kind of keeping, keeping themselves in the kind of cool and calm strategy, then they're going to be okay and they do okay. The kids... The kids who seem to have the most trouble are kids who are not quite where they need to be in terms of their psychiatric care and and are a little bit unstable and a little bit more vulnerable. Those kids are really subject to the swings and the pressures uh, that whirl around them. And how has that increased during the pandemic? I mean, fivefold, tenfold? I mean, kids and adults are all struggling to deal with things that we've never been faced with before. Yeah, I think I think I, I do a little bit of a speech here, but you know, before the pandemic, we did not have a very good mental health system. Kids' um, needs essentially weren't met. Now, a study from a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, said that in Illinois, about twenty percent of kids have a mental health problem, and about half of those kids get any kind of assessment. And if you read the literature closely. Only about a third of kids who get treatment actually have clinically meaningful benefit. That means before COVID, when we didn't have much of a mental health system, we had 15% of kids who had a mental health problem that was either poorly treated or untreated. Well, those kids could get by with school and peer relationships and after school and when their families were hanging together and the world was relatively calm and, and predictable. But you take all that away in COVID-19, and what we've seen is all of those kids begin to present for care. So there's been a huge rush on on services, but it's not because of COVID per se. It's because we have a, a system that doesn't work very well, and we have a whole bunch of kids who are partially or poorly treated. And well, those kids, when pressured, come to care. We'll uh, talk about the, the lack of service and, and what needs to change so that we can help these children and, in essence, help adults as well. It's Dr. John Walkup, the chair of the Pritzker Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health, a professor in child and adolescent psychiatry. Got a question? Send us a text or pick up the phone, 312-981-7200. He'll be back with us in a moment. Chicago's Afternoon News. This is 720 WGN. Steve Bertrand, Kevin Powell, Mary Vandeveld. We're all here. My name is Lisa, and on the phone is Dr. John Walkup. He is... He has uh, got quite a bit of credentials uh, after his name, but let me just suffice to say that he is a professor in child and adolescent psychiatry. We we're talking about that these mental health issues for children were obviously an issue prior to the pandemic, and now this has just been piled on them. And I want you to listen to this caller that we had on on Monday in response to someone who was against the masks in schools. Yeah, that last caller is kind of ticking me off. <laughs> But showing up like a hot mess in the school offices does 
nothing. These people at the school level don't have any say in this. If it makes you feel better to get all up in their grill and vent, go ahead. But it doesn't do anything, and it puts your kid in a really bad position. Why don't you contact your school board members? Why don't you contact your state legislators? That's where you get stuff done. That's Michelle from Montgomery, and that is pretty representative of how people speak when they call the radio station and it has to do with masks. And what you're saying, doctor, is obviously that impacts children greatly when they witness you as a parent talking like that. Or we had a caller prior to her that was even more uptight about people wearing masks. So what can we do as parents to... I know we need to tone it down, (laughs) but what can we do to calm our children? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, there's this old saying is is, uh, kids um, never listen to what you have to say, but they never fail to imitate how you behave. And so I, I think one of the things that we worry about with kids increasingly is how many kids have problems with anger control and emotion control and behavior control. And, you know, we look at that like that's an isolated problem. But I think it's important for families to understand that those kinds of behaviors are really behaviors that are worked on really from birth on. And it's a combination of good parenting strategies, but it's also good. It's a combination of of good role modeling. And parents have strong opinions today. We certainly in our country have decided that strong opinions are more important than than collaboration and, and communication and um, and cooperation on some level. And, um, and so what you're going to see is you're going to see kids imitating that whole process, taking sides in a way that doesn't really help them in the long term. We've lost all civility, it seems like. It, uh, we're seeing more school board members resign. We're seeing teachers uh, walking away from the profession because they don't want to deal with it anymore. This is Julie from Piatone. Julie, what did you want to address with the doctor? Hi, thank you for taking my call. I um, I have a son who's a, a junior in high school, and right before the pandemic, we were just it was we were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we were involved in a in a shooting. It was like a drug deal gone bad, and it ended up um, being used um, as hostage, I guess you know barricade situation. But it was almost like the perfect storm because COVID happened, and we ended up just staying home for two years basically and relied on each other and just watched movies. And um, I just didn't realize how detrimental it was to us to not to go out and not see other people. And now that we're trying to go back out and do that, and I know he leads from me and I'm a mess. How do I build his confidence in going out into the world when I just don't have it myself? I'm so sorry, Julie. Boy, that's so tough, so tough. I, I, it's hard for me to talk about, about your individual situation, but let me just talk a little bit about, about kids and trauma. You know, the natural outcome from traumatic experiences is recovery. And what people go through is they go through a period of time where they experience righteously victimization. And during that period of time, they deserve our understanding, our sympathy, and our empathy. But at some point or another, people begin to put their lives back together, and they begin to kind of reconsolidate. Things kind of return to normal, and and it sounds like that got disrupted with this whole COVID-19 thing. But I think the thing that's really important for people to understand about trauma is at the end of it all, 
one of the things that we see happening in the real world is that people decide to use those traumatic experiences as some kind of motivator for them to be more effective, to go back and realize the dreams that may have been destroyed by that traumatic experience, um, to take on a, a, a new challenge in the world, to, for example, to work against gun violence or work against strategies to kind of, or work for strategies that promote civility, as we just mentioned in the community. But that's the outcome, is taking those terrible experiences and figuring out how those terrible experiences can begin to motivate you to do something that I call transcendent or to to be able to grow after a traumatic experience. It strengthens you, right? I have a friend who lost a child and and started a foundation, and I think that's what got them through the most difficult days of their life was trying to help out other people in the same position. Is that what you're saying, doctor? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, you know, those are the kinds of things that human beings have been doing forever and ever. And it's extremely natural. And when you look at the world from 10,000 feet, you're seeing people handle those kinds of tragedies in that way all the time. Now, we do know that people who have depression or anxiety, those kinds of folks have a much harder time recovering. We also know that people have a hard time recovering when they had really, really close proximity to trauma. Um, that, that just makes it much more difficult for them to recover. And then the other thing that makes it difficult for people to recover is when something happened to them during the trauma that essentially changed their post-traumatic life. And we learned that in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, in, in previous wars, our soldiers died. But now that they have body armor and helmets, they come back with loss of a limb or loss of vision or a traumatic brain injury. And so they have a hard time recovering from that traumatic experience because they're alive, but they also have a marked deficit that really makes it difficult for them to to function. And so we, those three things are the things that make it difficult for people to, to get past trauma. And Julie, we all offer our our prayers, because uh, I don't know if that's what everybody does, but you will be in mine, and many people are texting saying that their heart is breaking listening to your story. So just know that Thank people you. are thinking about you, and we really hope that you find a way to get through this, not just for you, but for your child as well. Thank Absolutely. You. All right. Have a good day. Uh, let's go to Marty. Marty is calling from Naperville. Marty, what did you want to ask the doctor? By the way, let me introduce our guest for those who are just tuning in. It's Dr. John Walkup. He is the chair of the Pritzker Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health and board-designated professor in child and adolescent psychiatry. So you've got an expert on the phone here, Marty. Go ahead. Thank you, Lisa. Hey, doctor, I've got a 13-year-old. He's... um. Prior to COVID, diagnosed type 1 diabetes. At five years old, he was ADHD. We're suspecting now there's even possibly Asperger's. The problem is, he's a divorced child. He's my girlfriend's son. The father, from day one, has not uh, believed in the process of wearing masks. He will not get this child into the vaccine circle. Um, he's, his belief is there's no need for medicine or counseling. He's been to two counselors. Both have said we need further testing. The problem is he's high-functioning, and he is asking a lot of intelligent questions. You know, he's trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong. And you got one parent that is doing complete aggressive, trying to do the right thing, and the other one says, eh, no, I don't even wear – he goes into a gymnasium, the kid's school, and, and the young man, is his dad doesn't want to wear a mask. His father has to leave because he refuses to wear a mask, and he's, 
He's confused. Hey, Marty, let the doctor answer that because we're up against a time crunch here. So how do you respond I, to that, Doc? Oh, you know, divorced couples, they for some reason or another, they always seem to get into it with each other about their kids. I think one of the things that I talk with divorcing couples about in terms of the care of their children is that what you're really in it for is the long term. And what you want your kid to be able to say to you when they're 19, 20, maybe 25, or even 30 is, you know, Dad, I watched you handle this divorce, and you were a champ. You know, you really, you really were good, even though I knew it was hard for you. Mom, you were terrific. You know, you didn't pick a fight with Dad when, when you wanted to pick a fight with Dad. And um, you guys were both mature, and you got through this, and you really didn't, didn't extend the conflict and 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 have that negative impact on me and I'm proud of both of you. That's what divorcing parents need to understand about divorcing and how they deal with their kids is that they got to find a way to be invested in the long-term outcome and long-term relationship with their kid and that means that they really work actually harder post-divorce than they did during the marriage to get along and do the right thing. Uh, Dr. John, walk up. We've got like 15 seconds left. Your last words to um, educate parents on how they get through this difficult time with children. Oh, please po- follow public health guidelines. Be safe out there. We, we know what works to stop the, what's ha- what stops the virus, and that is vaccination and masking and hand washing and social distancing. Or, um, be, be safe out there. 